people with me at the time, and just then I get beeped, ironically, I'm in a suite, and it's a Vancouver number, right? So what are the chances? It's unbelievable. So I excuse myself, I go to a payphone, and it was the CFO from Vancouver saying, okay, we, we got a deal done, right? So now I go back, and the guy is like, so let's... You should have been dealing with me, he said. That was it. You really should not have been dealing with the hockey people. I'm running the business. I'm like, I got to be totally honest with you. I just got a phone call, and we're going to Vancouver. (laughs) But do me a favor. Don't tell anybody until we announce it. So that really was, you know... It took a long time. It took 13 months yeah. from really the beginning of, you know, like April of 83, 93. And then, you know, beginning of May, we announced the team. Hi there. Welcome to the show. I'm Lucas Favalli. This is Crunch Chronicles, episode 29 of the show here this week. And we are so excited to get someone who it's amazing. It's taken 29 episodes to get on the show, but we are very happy to have the owner of the Syracuse Crunch on this week. Of course, talking about Howard Dolgan episode 29's guest here on the show. Howard, of course, one of the brainchilds of the Crunch way back in the early to mid-90s. Obviously, the Crunch starting in 1994, but we get his side of the story of how the Crunch became a thing back in 1993 and then starting officially in 1994. Of course, we had Vance Lederman on, his uh, right-hand man for almost the last 30 years with the Crunch. We had him on on episode 10 of the show several months ago. And we heard the story from his perspective. So we got the rest of the story from Howard's perspective, what the process was like and what it has been like for almost 30 years now to have a hockey team in Syracuse. What the last two years have been like as well, obviously a challenge for him and for the crunch as an organization and for minor league hockey and minor league sports in general. But we get an update from the owner of the Syracuse Crunch, Howard Dolgan, on episode 29 this week of Crunch Chronicles. Well, I know you got advanced before me. I understand you're going by size order, right? Like they did yeah. in, in elementary school. So Vance always went first. And, you know, the taller you got, the later you went. But <laughs> that's good. And actually, I really enjoyed the podcast you did with him. It was, I thought he was great and uh, brought back some, some real good memories for me as well. Yeah, he was wonderful. He told some great stories, and we all love Vance, of course. He is such a big part of this. Uh, but how are you doing? You know, you're in town more frequently, obviously, this year than, well, you couldn't be here last year. It's It's been a very weird two years. We're just about two years exactly removed from when everything changed for the crunch and for the world. But how, was, uh, how has it been for the last two years to you and now feeling like we're getting back to some sense of normalcy? You know, it's, it's interesting. It's really been the last, I think, month or maybe even three weeks where it's starting to feel a little more normal or a lot more normal. Yeah. You know, uh, the first year and a half plus were, you know, uh, I could use the word surreal, uh, depressing, you know, uh, uncharted territory. I mean, there were, you know, there were certainly positives, uh, if you could call them out of this and, you know, I think the most obvious were ones where people got to spend a lot more time with their loved ones, you know, with their children and their and their friends and their family. And, you know, I know for me personally, with, with uh, two of my sons have young children. And one of them who lives about 15 minutes from us in Florida, you know, he's been fortunate to be based out of his house, even pre-COVID. And was able to spend time with his two daughters, but still traveled a bit. 
And during COVID, the travel stopped, but he was still able to really be, you know, really be a, a father seven days a week with my, uh, one of my other sons who had recently moved to Connecticut and is, is an attorney. One of his real worries during his time his wife was pregnant even was he didn't want to, you know, be stuck working to eight o'clock every night in a law firm and, you know, then have to travel home and the baby be sleeping and it was a newborn and, you know, uh, not being there for breakfast in the morning. And, you know, he works now, it used to be every day from the home. Now he goes into his office uh, two days a week, but he gets to spend so much time and he's really appreciating, you know, his family, his wife and, and his and his daughter now. So there were some positives out of it, but I think, like I said, the last month or so with, you know, us opening up our building really now, fans coming back, uh, there being a little more of a buzz about the team and, and the sport. You know, I've been able to get to a bunch of Tampa games every year, and uh, two years ago I didn't. Yeah. And and this past year, I did in the playoffs, of course, but uh, this year I, I get there regularly. So, you know, I, I still don't think we're there 100%. Uh, as a country, you know, I, I think we got to get to the summer and then, you know, get get past that safely. And then hopefully the mindset is, OK, we're back to the new normal, but at least we could use the word normal. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. And, and it's been you're right. It feels like we're getting there slowly but surely here with the crunch and with the AHL. Things are definitely trending in the right direction after uh, just a wild two years. And and uh, you said it, that there is a more of a buzz. It's a, a fun race going on right now for the crunch in, in terms of the playoffs. And and there is just that vibe and that energy coming back to to Syracuse and to, to pro sports everywhere, but especially at the AHL level where we know I mean it's been a very difficult two years for AHL teams and for minor league sports in general what from that perspective how challenging has it been and and seeing things starting to return as well on the business side well one of the challenges we had as a league you know we brought a new president in I mean we had Dave Andrews for you know I think it was 26 years and Dave came to the league as president when we came in in 94 as a franchise so we kind of grew up together and Dave did wonderful things you know with the you know, uh, strategically with the league, with, you know, uh, merging, I should say merging, absorbing the IHL, becoming a, a league now. It's one for one with the NHL, stabilizing the, the uh, development model, which we have now. You know, our league is stronger than ever. But the last two years, we've kind of been stagnant in growth, right? You know, from a corporate standpoint, we, I think we met in person finally, was a, it took a year and a half. We've been in Chicago, and, and it was a quick, different meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, a different feel. Yeah. Because we, you know, typically are, are a league where the relationships are very close and strong among the owners, among the executives in the league, and we always cherish the time we get to, you know, spend together on a on a business but a casual basis, but also to be able to share things. You know share personal perspectives and share business perspectives. And you can do that on the phone, you can do it by Zoom, but there's something about being, you know, sharing a meal with somebody yeah. or sitting next to them. And and that went away. And that's finally coming back slowly. And I really think once we get to the summertime, you know, you know, God willing and, and we, we stay healthy, uh, 
that we're going to go into 22-23 as we are used to going into. You mentioned Dave Andrews, though, who is no longer the president of the AHL, but had done such a good job for so long and came in right when the crunch came into the uh, into the league. So let's go back to then when the crunch became a, a team of the AHL back in 1994, the first season. It's amazing. This is year number 28 now of the crunch. Uh, we had Vance on like we alluded to, and he kind of told us uh, his side of the story. We got to check some facts now. You tell us the real story, Howard, of, of how it all how it all went down. <laughs> well, the real story would probably take hours. Yeah. Uh, I often joke that somebody said, "Why did you buy a hockey team?" And I'm often joke that I had, had a little too much tequila the night before, but <laughs> that, it wasn't that night at least, right? <laughs> but the reality was, you know, I had I had uh, I was a partner in a in a pretty successful sports PR uh, marketing firm in Manhattan. And we had a number of clients, uh, you know, MasterCard, Gillette. And we did a lot of work in the liquor category with a company called Diageo. And uh, spent a lot of time on the Equivo brand, Smirnoff, uh, Captain Morgan. And we did some work with a brand called Black Velvet Whiskey. Black Velvet Whiskey was known for the Black Velvet Lady and the billboard campaign. And they were bringing it back. And there have been some famous ones in the past, like Kim Alexis and uh, a few other famous models. I think uh, Kelly Enberg, who had been married to Rod Stewart. And uh, they were really a regional brand. When I say regional, the majority, I think 80% of the sales were in the Northeast. So at the time, the American Hockey League, I think it was 16 teams, primarily in eastern Canada and in the Northeast. So you had Adir- Binghamton, Adirondack, Rochester, Albany. You had some of the New England teams, you know, you had at the time, I think, Portland and, uh, and Springfield. And then you had Cornwall and Cape Breton, teams that aren't around anymore, Fredericton, yeah. PEI, right? So actually the majority of the teams, I actually was looking in my, in my home office, I have a, a framed jersey that I got in 1994, Budweiser did frame jerseys of every team or with us, with our team, and they had them up in all the bars. And... They had the logos of all the teams in the league. There were 18. I counted them yet the other day. Uh-huh. And I think of the 18, only Hershey, Rochester, and Syracuse were still around. Now, Springfield's still around. Right. Different name. Right. Right? But there was— And Providence, I think, right? Was and Providence. Providence. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. Providence. So you, you had Cornwall. You had P.I. You had Fredericton. You had Cape Breton. Those are four of the Canadian teams. You had Worcester. You had Baltimore. Yeah. You had Binghamton, Albany, and Adirondack. Right. So the majority of the teams on that surrounding that jersey were no longer there anymore. You know, the vast majority. But going back to Black Velvet, so at the time, Black Velvet was approached by the American Hockey League for a sponsorship. And, and the guy running the marketing, which was very minimal for the league at the time, was Bob Arablo. And Bob came into our office because our client asked us to negotiate the deal. And they wanted to do like a table hockey event uh, at, at the arenas and culminating with championships in each market and that the Black Velvet Lady would make appearances, mm-hmm. right? So Bob came in and it so happened that my business partner at the time 
Alan Taylor, had remembered Bob because Bob had interned for him at World Team Tennis. Okay. So the, now, now the you know now the pieces are coming together. So I meet with Bob. We negotiate the deal. I give him about thirty percent of what he's asking for. You know, <laughs> but Bob took it. He was asking for way too much. Yeah, of course. But that's fine. Bob was a great guy. And we got to know each other. Like he knew I was a Ranger season ticket holder. We, I loved hockey. I played hockey, and so we execute the program. And Bob and I keep in touch. And then one day, my phone rings, and he says, "Hey," he says, "This is 1993 uh, in the spring." He says, "Listen, I know you're a big hockey fan." He says, "We have a market in Syracuse where there's a a local groundswell." They had a program called Ice the Future uh, that wants to bring an AHL team to Syracuse, but they don't have a, an owner. Would you be interested? So my gut reaction was, well, definitely, right? Like you grow up a sports fan as a kid and you're watching, you know, the Rangers and the Knicks and the Giants and the Mets and you're like, why are they doing, I could do better than this. But then I thought, you know, now I'm an adult and professionally, I'm working with brands, big brands, and I'm promoting them. So why couldn't I take my own brand, which would be this team, mm-hmm. and do the same execution? So I said to Bob, you know what? I'm interested. What's the next step? He said, well, come up to Syracuse and meet, tour the building, meet the local people behind this effort. Meet the people, you know, the county exec, meet the mayor, and then see what you think, right? So I go up there, uh, and uh, Vance and I had been running at night. Like, we would run all the time. Yeah. And it didn't matter what the weather was. (laughs) It could be freezing, there'd be ice. We we put our kids to bed, and we were running. And our kids were little at the time. Right. And uh, I said, you know... I'd like you to come up with me because you're a financial guy. I'd like, like to get your perspective on this. So we got in a plane. Bob picked us up at the airport. And what I remember most about that was Bob had a cast from the hip to his foot. He had broken his leg. Oh, gosh. So here he is. He drove from Springfield, picked us up. We met with uh, the guy who ran the building at the time. We met with uh, Brian Elwell who was a former Blazer player here, but he was leading the effort. He owned a, a, a coffee shop in town. And Peter Capicelli, who was a community business guy, who turned out to be my first director of sales. And then I met with the county exec, Nick Pirro, mm-hmm. and then Mayor Young at the time. And I walked away and I said, you know, let's, let's try to do this. And so we, we got about doing it, you know, putting money together. But the main challenge we had was getting an affiliation. Yeah. Because you had you had the American Hockey League, sixteen teams. You had the IHL, which had more teams, and you you had less than at the time probably twenty eight teams or less in the NHL. So you had teams splitting affiliations. You had a competition. So not only were we competing to get an NHL team with maybe another AHL already established team, but now you had the IHL. And the IHL was in bigger markets. They were spending more money. And we knew when we created our performer what we could spend, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because 
like we could spend more money, but then you're out of business in three years, right? Exactly. Like you still got to, you have to take the emotion out of it, right? And that's why, you know, when you're a fan like we were and I was, you know, you fall in love with players, you fall in love with doing things a certain way, but now you got to put your business hat on and you want to have a sustainable business over a period of time knowing that you will run into lean years. Like it's inevitable. Like anybody that does a plan for the honeymoon to end in any form of life is mistaken. Yeah. So, you know, all of a sudden now we're, okay, well now we got to find a partner. And so Tom Mitchell, who owned Binghamton at the time, they were the Rangers. He became a bit of a confidant. He shared a lot of uh, numbers with us, affiliation numbers. That was before the league was sharing information. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember it was either June or June, I think, or July of 93. I get a call from Tom. I'm in my office. And he says, you didn't hear this from me. And that was Mitch all the time. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say this to you. I didn't tell you this, but, right? He said, but you need to get a hold of George McPhee. I said, well, why? So George was the assistant GM of Vancouver. And they were in Hamilton. Hamilton was owned by a guy, a former player named Pat Hickey, and a couple of investors. And they got in the franchise from the league for a ridic- ridiculously low terms. Like, just absurd. Mm-hmm. But they were falling, they had no money. They were falling apart. And there were real doubts whether this was going to, you know, make it, yeah. right? And so I had met George through my other business. We did a program with some Ranger alumni. It was a one-day event at Central Park. But I knew George as a player. Like, I loved him as a player because of the style he played. Mm-hmm. So I reached out to George and we started a dialogue, and he said, well, listen, well, we have a commitment with Hamilton, but stay in touch. So I did, and I reached out to a, a number of other teams. Ironically, Tampa was one of the teams. Yeah, right. And, but the constant contact was with Vancouver. Like, George and I had a good rapport. But I went down to Tampa one time, and Phyllis Mesita was running the team. And uh, his brother Tony worked for the team, and there was a guy, Mel, I forget his name, but he was a former garden MSG guy, which is probably how Espo got to know him. Right. And we went to lunch. We had a great meeting. And I, I had a whole presentation. And he, he said to me, we're going to review the presentation. They were in Cleveland at the time in the eye, right? Totally different ownership. And he said, I'll get back to you. And I said, great, you know. So I'm sitting in my office one day, and my secretary buzzes me and says, you have a fax, so that's how long, you know, talk about this may have been 94 by now, right? Maybe late 93 or 94, okay. early 94. Yep. So I go and I say, well, who's it from? She said, oh, it's from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now I'm excited, right? Here we go. And I get there and it's a one line fax from him. And he says, the Tampa Bay Lightning will affiliate with Syracuse for the price of, and it was seven figures. Which was totally out of whack. Yeah. And it was it was deflating. Because I'm like, you know, I put the effort in. I made a, We made it what we thought was a solid, you know, uh, selling proposition for the market. You know, you got Binghamton here. You got Rochester. You got Anirondack. You got Albany. Travel's going to be great. You're going to develop your kids. Yep. And I guess they were an organization where money was more important, right? 
So continued the dialogue with Vancouver. The famous story that was, was told a lot was that I was actually getting fitted for, for shirts. The one thing that I, I treat myself with, with dress shirts, is custom shirts. Uh-huh. Like, and because get the kind of shirts you want, it feels better. It was at a time where I was wearing suits every day, right? Yeah. So I got a call from home saying that George McPhee's looking for me. Like, well, that's a pretty good sign, right? And I called George up and he says, if we needed you, could you start now? And it was like January. I'm like, <laughs> of course, George, no problem. Like, we'll, we'll get it going. We'll the figure it out. The arena was done kind of, right? They, they spent a bunch of money in the building, new ice, but the majority of the money they spent was really on asbestos removal. Mm-hmm. So he said, okay, well, you know, I want to check with Pat Quinn, who was the GM at the time. Now, the issue with Pat was Pat was a son of Hamilton. So for him to move the team out, they had already taken over the team, mm-hmm. right? Or they're debating taking it over. And they knew it was a money pit. But Pat was a, a proud guy. And so George said, you know what? We're going to, uh, we're going to keep the team and see what happens after the year. And I said, okay. You know, I was now a little depressed about that. And, uh, but I think it was more posture on George's part. Because, you know, he knew it wasn't going to work, but he couldn't tell his boss, Pat, hey, Pat, you know, we're, we're one and done here, right? Yeah. So George and I kept in touch. We, 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 he brought in his CFO, real good guy named Carlos Mascarenas. We were negotiating finally through him to finish the deal. And we got to the point, I think it was like in late April, we really felt this was going to happen. It wasn't 100%, but now Vancouver was in the playoffs, right? It was a year... Ironically, they made it to the finals right. against the Rangers. Right. So I'm now in Tampa for a client in uh, in late April for an event. And I get invited by a guy, his last name was Lefevre, who was now running the Lightning. He was a business guy. I forgot his first name. And he invited me up to a suite. So I'm in the suite with him, the guy from the garden, this guy Mel. Mm-hmm. And Lefevre says... We need to do a deal with you guys. I'm like, I tried, and I got a ridiculous offer. I had a beeper with me at the time, and just then I get beeped. Ironically, I'm in the suite, and it's a Vancouver number, <laughs> right? So what are the chances? It's unbelievable. <laughs> so I excuse myself. I go to a payphone, and it was a CFO from Vancouver saying, "Okay, we we got a deal done, right?" <laughs> so now I go back, and the guy is like, "So let's." You should have been dealing with me, he said. That was it. You really should not have been dealing with the hockey people. I'm running the business. I'm like, I got to be totally honest with you. I just got a phone call, and we're going to Vancouver. (laughs) But do me a favor. Don't tell anybody until we announce it. So that really was, you know, it took a long time. It took 13 months from really the beginning of, you know, like April of 93. And then, you know, beginning of May, we announced the team. Oh, what a journey. <laughs> and even then was interesting. So we get to, you know, this is a story most people don't know. So we get to Boston where they have the league meeting. And I'm in a hotel room, right? And George was at the board meeting because he was still the governor for, for Hamilton. And I'm in a room and Doug McLean comes up to see me. And he was sent up by the governors and he says, listen, 
we can't give you the same terms because I was buying the Vancouver franchise. Mm-hmm. And Vancouver was paying the terms that the Pat Hookie group got, which was a ridiculously good steal. deal. Yeah, yeah. So they said, listen, we need you to put more money down, Doug says, for it to get the deal done. Uh, would you be okay? And I said, well, how much you need? And he told me. I said, that's, that's, that's fine. We'll do that. And Frank DeRoss, who is Robin Esch's partner now, Frank was the majority owner of Providence. So here's a board member. And he said, well, I want to ask you something. You're going to be in the Utica territory, 50-mile radius. I'm going to ask you if you could please waive the rights so that if Utica ever wants to come back in, there's no issue with Syracuse. Hmm. So I said, no problem, you know. And at the time, I never thought Utica was going to come back in. Yeah. But I said, no problem. So we go down. They say, okay, we'll call you. Because now they go down, they vote. They call me. I walk in. They applause. The first guy who I shake hands with is Doug McLean. And then ironically, you know, six years later, we're partners with Columbus. Right. But we had met with Doug. So the, Doug, Doug was the AGM of Detroit. And I flew to Detroit. And I think Jim Devolano was a GM. And it kind of hit it off with Doug right away. I, I mean, we're still good friends. He lives in Delray Beach, Florida, and we get together every now and then. But Doug, when we met with him, he said to me, he said, you know, we don't care if we lose a million dollars in development. Now, that was a, at the time. It's probably more like two or three million that the NHL teams really consider a developmental cost. Mm-hmm. He said, if we can either develop two players for Detroit or two players that we could trade to get a ready to play, we consider that successful. Uh, interesting. And that was a good education. Yeah, I learned a lot from everybody throughout the process. You know, which was good. Yeah. I mean, it, it was crazy that it took so long because, you know, it's like you want something so badly and, like, you feel you're within reach, but you have to have patience, you know. And I learned I, I learned a little bit about patience through that process, you know. Yeah, well, and it's been it's been a great run, 28th year now. Yeah. Why do you think it's worked so well? I mean, obviously, at the start, people were poo-pooing it a little bit, saying it's not going to last, the hockey graveyard, quote-unquote, that yeah. we always heard. Why do you think it's worked so well here? We should probably do a uh, a jersey with a skeleton on it. Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. The hockey graveyard. That would be good. Yeah, yeah. that would be a good one. We've, a Halloween jersey, but yeah. bam, we'll just yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Uh, the crunch man gets all bony right, and everything. But, you know, look, one is great people that we have on staff, loyal, loyal people. And I think really more than anything, it's kind of like accepting who you are and not thinking you're more than who you are. You know, and that's why I think too many people... And you see it with athletes, too, is they get a big contract and suddenly they don't train as hard. They don't, you know, they don't buy into the team as hard. And and then their careers kind of, you know, they don't get that next big contract. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we're only as good as the next game, the next, you know, the next fan experience we do, how we treat a partner, you know. And I think in the 10 years we've been with Tampa, you know, we've learned more about culture. I have. Because uh, when I go to that building, it's an education. Yeah. It really is. Like, I walk into that building. I always sit in Steve Griggs, the president's suite, which is really what they call it. It's a huge suite, and it's an overflow. It's for quote-unquote VIPs who aren't in suites, mm-hmm. or the mayor comes in, or a celebrity. And it's, it's the most welcoming place. But 
the, the, the ushers who work outside the suite, not only do they know who I am, but, hey, how's BB doing down oh, there? Oh, yeah. Or tell us about that kid Green. Do you think he's going to play? It's amazing. That's awesome. You know, or the guy who runs the suite, not only does he know me, Dave, you know, the guy who runs it, He'll say, hey, how's my man Vance doing? I haven't seen him. Tell him I, it's, it's just an amazing experience. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's, it's that kind of culture that, you know, makes people want to work there and makes us want to partner with them. And it's an education for us, you know, to try to do things the Tampa way, you know, in a smaller version, right? Yeah. 28 years, come across a lot of people in hockey. The vast majority are just great. And with these guys are the cream of the crop. Yeah. And they are. From Vinick to Griggs to when Eisman was there to Julian and the coaches. And it's a pleasure to have a partnership that, you know, we don't agree on everything. And we get told no at times. Yeah, for sure. And vice versa. Yeah. But it, it's the spirit of being one organization that's so... You know, so rewarding. I was telling Julian, I had dinner with him the other night before the game, and I said, you know, we were with Columbus, and they infrequently made the playoff, but they made it, and we were with Tampa and the same thing in Anaheim. But when you guys were going for the cup, when you guys, like, it's it's like us. It, it, like, we bled it. Yeah. And, and like, my wife would say, well, you're yelling in, in the living room, like, you know. But it was just that feeling that was so special. Yeah, well, we've seen so many people come through the organization. Yeah. 75 players now have got up through Tampa Bay or through Syracuse to Tampa Bay over the affiliation. It's been just such a great, successful experience in an affiliation 10 years, which is uh, astounding. Uh, we'll finish on this one, Howard. We've uh, already kept you for about a half hour. But yeah. we know the, uh, you know the goal, of course, is that Calder Cup, the elusive cup here in Syracuse. But what continues to motivate and drive you here uh, as as this season continues and then continuing to move forward? Well, I think you said it. I mean, you know, we've I've been fortunate. They, they, they've given me two Stanley Cup rings and player rings, which is mind boggling. And uh, I, but I think getting one of our own and doing it for the city and for the staff, you know, uh, you know, this is a city that has defied what they've been classified as, you know. I think people resented that this was a graveyard. Yeah. This is a, a city that is, if you look, like I said, of all the teams that have come and gone more than once, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, Adirondack, Binghamton have come and gone more than once. Albany, more than once. And uh, Worcester, you know, you keep naming them, unfortunately. And, you know, to be labeled uh, a place where hockey dies you know, was based on a, a history that probably had a lot to do with the people who were bringing the hockey to the fans, yeah. not the fans coming out for the hockey. So it was an un, unjust, I think, proven to be an unjust moniker to give them. And to be able to reward these people with a championship for, you know, for a city that's turned out for... You know, I had breakfast this morning with the AD of Syracuse, John Waltag, and we, we touched on maybe doing another game in the Dome. And, you know, for a city that set the record of almost 31,000 people for an American League hockey yeah. game, who was, who was the first to go outdoors in 2010, the proof is in the pudding of what this market is for hockey. And look at the players that it develops, you know, from, you know, I mean, the list is 
on and on and growing that are going to D1 schools and playing in the NHL, you know. So finally winning that cup. And, 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 and when I look at this roster, I, I really look at it and say, you know, you know every, every team's got holes, right? Yeah. And I, 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 I would not be surprised if, if Tampa fills one or two of them before the deadline. Yeah. You know, they're, they're certainly aware of it. And, you know, with the kind of coaching that Ben and his staff, we know what he can deliver. You know, I it would not shock me if this is a team that can make a run. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's 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 like I watched last night when we, you know, if you've seen plenty of games where we're out out shoot opponents two to one, and with the with the kind of firepower we have, <laughs> you know, wind up scoring two goals. Yep. And I keep saying, you know, just gonna break out and all hell is gonna break loose. Yeah. And you know, just hope it happens sooner than later. But I would not rule this particular team out. I'm making a run to the Calder Cup. I agree. I really want it. It's an exciting team, and and the potential is definitely there. Well, Howard, we very much appreciate your time here today. Uh, We very literally barely scratched the surface. We'll have to get you on again uh, a little later on, and we can dive into some more of the the fun stuff. But thanks so much for doing this, and and we hope that uh, that Cup is coming to Syracuse real soon. It would be great for all of us. There he is, Syracuse Crunch owner Howard Dolgan, who was just wonderful with his time, as always, this week on episode 29 of Crunch Chronicles. We thank him so much for spending some time with us in his most recent trip up to Syracuse, when he was catching a couple of games at Upstate Medical University Arena with the team in the midst of a playoff race. You know, Howard is all in, as always, and you can just hear in his voice how much that quest for the Calder Cup continues to drive him and everything he does with the crunch. And you, you know he, he means it, what he says. This is the partnership that he thinks is going to get them there at some point, whether it's this year's team, which he thinks has a pretty good chance at, at it, if things continue to trend in the right direction, or if it's in the next couple of years. It certainly feels that the Tampa Bay Lightning continue to provide the crunch their best opportunity they've ever had to win a Calder Cup. So that is episode 29 of Crunch Chronicles with crunch owner Howard Dolgan. If you have any Howard Dolgan stories you'd like to share with us or any interactions you've had with him, just what he's meant to this organization and to this city for nearly 30 years now, having the crunch in Syracuse. We'd love to hear them. You can tweet me at Lucas Favali or reach me via email lfavali at syracusecrunch.com. We'll get to those on an upcoming episode of Crunch Chronicles or if you have any other stories about some of the guys we've had here recently on the show, we'd love to hear those as well. That'll do it though for this week's episode of Crunch Chronicles. For all of us with your Syracuse Crunch. I'm Lucas Savali saying so long for now. We'll be back next week with another episode of Crunch Chronicles.